0: This morning is called Because He Lives. Our text is found in the Gospel of John. We're reading from the message. If you would find a screen, I'd like you to read all 10 verses with me, please, this morning. We'll go slowly, so read it heartily as unto the Lord. Early in the morning, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone was moved away from the entrance. She ran at once to Simon Peter and the other disciple. The one Jesus loved. Breathlessly panting, they took the master from the tomb. We don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple left immediately for the tomb. They ran neck and neck. The other disciple got to the tomb first, outrunning Peter. Stooping to look in, he saw the pieces of linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter arrived after him, entered the tomb, observed the linen cloths lying there, and the kerchief used to cover his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but separate, neatly folded by itself. Then the other disciple, the one who had gotten there first, went into the tomb, took one look at the evidence, and believed. No one yet knew from the scripture that he had to rise from the dead. The disciples then went back home. Bow your hearts with me, please. a word of prayer. Gracious God and Father, this morning we are so grateful to you as we celebrate this day the world over that the Savior is risen. He is alive. He's no longer entombed, but he has conquered death, hell, and the grave. Thank you that you hold the keys in your hand today, Jesus. Thank you that you're alive forevermore, that we've been reconciled by your death, but now we are saved by your life. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive today. And because of that, we are forgiven and that we are free and we are delivered. And Lord, we have hope for a future that you lead us in our destiny and our lives. We give you praise. We ask you today, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes as we attempt to preach this message. I need you more than I ever have before, O God. Let clarity be mine. I ask you in Jesus' name that you open the hearts and the eyes and the minds the ears of the people to hear and understand. Let the gospel penetrate a heart today that has never turned to you before. I ask you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. What a blessing it is to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday I, I have one thing that I want to communicate to you I had picked the text and had been praying this is the 28th time that I've done this the 28th Resurrection Sunday that I've stood up and said he is risen and the congregations responded he is risen indeed and I've taken a text over the years from every one of the Gospels from various locations in the epistles From the prophecies of the old testament and after having done that a number of times i just want to tell you i am still no expert though not a novice i'm still no expert and i go back to the word every time and i'm absolutely amazed at the complexity of god's promises but then i back up and i am in awe of the sheer simplicity of his word and what he's promised to us and that his word has not returned to him void and that he has and he is accomplishing all that he is pleased to do somebody say amen, amen. one thing i want to bring to you today is the resurrection of jesus christ as a proven undeniable fact it is a proven undeniable fact he appears shortly after this scenario that we saw we've read in the text you saw it depicted in the short 3 minute film this morning of Mary Magdalene running back where she found Peter and John referring to himself in this passage of his book named about himself as the one whom Jesus loved, the other disciple. He never gave his name, but he was referring to himself every time. So we saw it depicted on the screen in the short movie this morning in that when Mary Magdalene actually returned to to find them, she hadn't actually even considered the possibility that he was alive Because she says somebody has moved him. They've moved the Lord. We don't know where they've put him. She was still thinking he's dead and somebody has robbed the grave. And so the disciples gather up energy and and not knowing what's going on and run in breakneck speed to the tomb to look in and find what we saw beautifully depicted in that short film this morning. Peter and John in a foot race. John got there first and he leaned in and he saw, but he didn't go in. Peter goes in and he finds that the linen clothes are lying separate. And the kerchief, which was supposed to be on his head, had been folded and put aside separately in a different place. Some of you might be wondering what I have this for over here in the corner of the room this morning. And this would be, if you can imagine, a tomb and seeing the the disheveled clothes that had covered Jesus. We refer to them sometimes, allegedly known as the, the Shroud of Turin. But the cloth that covered the face of Jesus, unlike those clothes that had covered him, along with 75 pounds of spices in those strips of clothing that he had come out of. He had taken the the kerchief or the napkin that had covered his face and he had very carefully folded that napkin and set it aside in another place. John goes in and he sees the evidence that is there. Evidence, what do you mean? What evidence? It just looks like somebody came in and scrambled up the contents of the tomb. But John knew differently. Peter knew differently. The Bible says that John took one look at the evidence And he believed. Why do you think John would believe? Because he remembered just a few short days before having attended and sat closely beside Jesus in what we usually refer to as the Last Supper. And Jesus had, as every Hebrew does by tradition, courteously folded up the napkin signifying that he was finished with the Supper but that he was so pleased with it that he was saying that he was going to come back. You know what we do in America? When we finish our meal, we just basically at the restaurant just sort of take the napkin and just wad it up and set it on the plate. Hebrews don't do it that way. There's a purpose for why Jesus did what he did because he took the napkin that had covered his head and in the very same unique way, Individuals would have different ways in which they would fold these napkins. And Jesus had one that John recognized. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, nobody can fold a napkin the way Jesus folds a napkin. And he says, I want to tell you, I remember what it was just a few short nights ago on Thursday when we gathered together and we celebrated in the room and we partook of the Passover together. And Jesus said some crazy words about life and death and things that we didn't understand. And I don't know yet what's going on, but I'm telling you that napkin over there is only the way Jesus folds his napkin. And what it was signifying was that the head of the body had conquered death. The head, Jesus. Jesus Christ is the head of the body of Christ the head had conquered death but now all of us who are part of the body are yet waiting the the, the burial clothes are still disheveled they haven't yet been folded up and put away where we have put on immortality and we have shaken off of our, our corruption and put on incorruption But there is a hope because the head has gone before us and he has folded up the napkin and signified that he has already tasted death for every man. Somebody give God some praise this morning. It is undeniable the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a proven undeniable fact. We have multitudes of references and documents that have been given to us and historians don't deny a couple of copies, extant copies that have been found uh, written by Homer, Iliad, and Odyssey. We have over 10,000 fragments and whole pieces and whole books and whole together, put together representations of the, the Scripture and the New Testament. More than we do any other book in history. We have them and we know in reality that the truth of this is there were disciples who couldn't have forged a death, who couldn't have done this by by fraud because who is going to lay down their life for a lie? What disciple, if they've made up the story and just sort of told it in order to be able to perpetrate a lie, when their life is on the line, who is going to continue to lay down their life as a martyr for someone who didn't really rise from the dead? Yet they went to their graves declaring Jesus is risen, not just the 12 disciples who saw him, but the scripture says in the book of 1 Corinthians, he was observed by over 500 eyewitnesses. So the scripture is clear to declare to us that the resurrection is a proven undeniable fact. Somebody say amen. Amen. Because he lives, I have four points this morning I want to give you very quickly. Because he lives, the identity of the Son of God is unquestionable. C.S. Lewis gave us the famous question as to whether or not this one, this man who claims to be Savior, who says he is Lord, he is one of three things. He is liar, he is lunatic, or he really is Lord of all. He famously examined the three possibilities of those in a time when he was not a believer. And in the examination, he came to be a, a believing, trusting believer in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. It wasn't just that He died for us because people die for other people every day. Folks die, unfortunately, in airports because stupid people who who think they're going to promote their cause uh, dress up as suicide bombers. God help us this morning and bring comfort to the people of of Brussels, Belgium today. And, And if we didn't believe in a Savior who was alive this morning, we wouldn't have any hope to even say those words. Somebody, come on, help me a little bit in this place. He is, he is declared to be the Son of God according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. People die in the place of others all the time. Uh, innocent men go to jail and, and for somebody else and the, uh, really the guilty party is still out there and an innocent man has been put to death. That's happened multitudes of times throughout history. It isn't just that we had someone who was willing to sacrifice his life for us, but it was someone who didn't deserve any of it, someone who was guiltless, someone who was just, suffering for the unjust but I'll go a step further than that it isn't just the fact that Jesus was sinless and perfect in every way in his life and died for us but it's the fact that God accepted that he didn't stay in the ground but he got up out of the grave which was God's stamp of approval saying sin is forgiven come on somebody he is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus means Savior. Christ means anointed, the, the Messiah. Lord means He's the governor, He's the ruler, He's the king. Come on. He's the Son of God, the Son of Man. He's the seed of Abraham. He's David's greater son. He's our Savior, our healer. We sang about it this morning in that great Hezekiah Walker song. He's God our healer, God our Savior, God our deliverer. Yes, He is. Come on, tell somebody, say, Yes, He is. He's our deliverer, our provider, our protector. He's the Lord of glory. He's the bread of heaven. He's Emmanuel. He is God with us. Satan's tempting question had been answered with finality. If you are the son of God. And he had been declared to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The question that I have for you this morning in these few moments. Because he lives... The identity of the Son of God is unquestionable. There's nothing that you can do to, to renounce that or to turn away from it or to declare something that would cast an aspersion against it. This morning the question is, who is he to you? Point number two, because he lives, irreversible victory has already been won. Everybody say victory. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ has gotten the victory for you? He, he, it's not a matter of Him uh, giving you advice like a religious teacher would. If you'll do this, such and such, then maybe you might be able to muster up enough strength to get the victory on your own. No, Jesus has gotten us the victory. That's what the Scripture says. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Adam's high treason, sin had entered and the curse has prevailed but Jesus has gotten us irreversible victory over sin. His perfect life, the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, He was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. His character was impeccable. His legacy was undeniable. His history was provable. He walked before us. We, we, we recognize historians will tell you the world over, those who believe and those who do not believe, that Jesus Christ was a very real, true historical figure. Think about this. We see talking heads on television shows that, that, that and history channels who, who want to discuss what they believe is the most significant, world-changing event in the history of mankind, whether it was the advent of agriculture or or it was the the invention of the printing press at the time of the Reformation, or or, or whether it was the advent of mass communication and the telegraph becomes the radio and the telephone and and every means of media that we have today, or the beginning of the Internet, Uh, whether it is advance in medicine and the invention of antibiotics, all of these different things that we see, the atom bomb that was dropped in To end World War II. All of these different inventions, some of them for the betterment of mankind, some of them with the power to destroy everything around us. In the middle of all of that, I want to tell you there is one historical event that truly is the hinge point of all of history. That is the greatest event that has ever happened in all of mankind. And that's what we are celebrating all over the world today. That a man named Jesus lived a perfect life, healed folk, delivered them, conquered death, walked on water, made blind eyes see, and lame folk walk. And he got up out of the grave. Come on somebody. He is alive, and because he is alive, irreversible victory has been won. He's paid the penalty. He has victory over sin because he paid the penalty of sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he was made to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God. He took my place. It was Augustine, and then later C.S. Lewis quoted him and says... The Son of God became the Son of Man so the sons of men could become the sons of God. He took our place so we could enjoy His place with a fellowship with the Father. We have victory over sin not only because of its penalty being broken but because of the power of sin being broken over our lives. Romans chapter 5 verse 10 the Bible says we have been reconciled by his death but now we are saved by his life. It is not just enough to know that he died for you but you must know that he now lives for you. Somebody say amen. Put your hands together. I believe this. Victory over sin. Because he lives we have victory over sickness. Isaiah 53 says, Surely He has borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. He says, By His stripes we are healed. He says, The chastisement of our peace is upon Him. He was bruised for our transgressions and for our iniquities and all of these things He took upon Himself. Saints, God does not want you to stay in sin or in sickness because Jesus bought the victory for you. Finally, not, over, not only over sin and over sickness, but victory over death. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, the Bible says Jesus tasted death for every man. How many of you know because he tasted it for every man, you are no longer bound by the power of it? Somebody say amen. Revelation 117, the same disciple who wrote the Gospel of John and who referred to himself as the one who Jesus loves, said in Revelation 117, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last, and I am the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. What I want to tell you this morning is because he is alive his identity is undeniable because he is alive irreversible victory has been won and it is yours and the real issue this morning the bottom line is the curse that adam started god also got victory over that it's not only victory over sin victory over sickness victory over death but it's victory over everything that is under the curse galatians 3:13 christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And the old rugged cross, a symbol of death, now becomes an entrance, a way into everlasting life. Come on somebody, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. His victory cannot be turned over. There is no appeal. It is settled. It is done. Finito. It is finished. It is over with. Hallelujah. The question this morning is, are you enjoying the fruits of His victory in your life personally? Point number three this morning, I'm moving along very nicely. Because he lives, all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. Every Old Testament promise, every little breath of hope, every little glimpse of a ray of light of hope that was seen and described and uttered by an inspired man or a woman of God in a song of praise, in a declaration over an infant that would yet carry on another generation into a line, into a seed that was coming. They kept declaring, the seed is coming, the seed is coming, the seed is coming. And they they kept looking with hope for God to send the Mashiach, the the anointed one, the one we call Christ in the New Testament, Jesus, our Messiah, our Messiah. This is what I want you to hear this morning. Its fulfillment is found in the babe that was born in Bethlehem, in the son who grew up in a carpenter's house, in the man from Galilee, in the seed of Adam, in the seed of Abraham, all the land promises that God told Abraham, as far as your eye sees, I'm going to give it to you. When the gospel comes into that, it explodes to the whole earth. Jesus rightfully owns the whole planet and the whole universe. He became king. He broke the curse and arose to become king over the whole universe. Somebody say amen. Not only the seed of Adam or the seed of Abraham, but he's the seed of David. The throne promises are the right to rule the planet that he owns. He created it. He redeemed it. He bought it back. He shed his blood. He spilt his blood on this planet for us for broken. What looked like unredeemable, messed up, jacked up, tore up from the flow up humanity. And Jesus came to turn it around and to reverse the curse. Come on, somebody. And I want to tell you who he is. Listen to me. In every book of the Bible, there's a glimpse of him in some way or another. In Genesis, he is the creator and the promised redeemer. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. How many of you watched the Ten Commandments last night? You saw saw Yul Brenner say, so let it be written, so let it be done. Charlton Heston raised up the staff and said, Fear not, for the Lord fights for us. I love it. Jesus is the fulfillment (laughs) of that Passover lamb. The blood that they spread on the doorpost. And the angel went on through. Hallelujah. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the water in the desert from the smitten rock. And out of the side of the rock gushed rivers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, we just finished that book. Come on, who is he in Ruth? He's our kinsman redeemer. Everybody say, our kinsman redeemer. I love that. First Samuel, he's the prophet, priest, and king. And 2 Samuel, he's the king of grace and love. In 1 Kings, he's a ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he's the powerful prophet. 1 Chronicles, the son of David that has come into rule. 2 Chronicles, he's the king who reigns eternally. Somebody say amen. Amen. In Ezra, he's the priest who's proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, he's the one who restores what is broken down. How many of you are thankful that the walls in your life that are crumbling all around you, God will send a Nehemiah. His name means comforter. Come on, somebody. That's a picture of Jesus who will comfort what's broken down in your life. And Esther, he's the protector of his people. And Job, he's the mediator between God and man. I know that my Redeemer lives and He will stand at the last day in Psalms he's our song in the morning and our deliverer at night in Proverbs he's our wisdom when we don't know the direction that we ought to go or the decisions that we ought to choose in Ecclesiastes he gives meaning to a life that seems meaningless all around us in Song of Solomon he's the love of our life he is the author of faithful love in Isaiah he's the suffering servant in Jeremiah the weeping Messiah in Lamentations he assumes God's wrath on himself for us in Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In the Daniel, in Daniel, he's the stranger, the fourth man walking around in the fire. Come on, somebody, are you thankful God will get in the fire with you? In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, even when we run away. When Gomer was playing the harlot. Hosea is a picture of Jesus who will come after you and pursue you and chase you down and love you and wash you and forgive you and restore you. Come on somebody. Nobody's too far away this morning that God can't reach you. In Joel, he is sending the baptizer of the Holy Spirit with fire. In Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. Obadiah, he's the judge over those who do evil. In Jonah, he's the great missionary headed to the city of Nineveh. In Micah, he casts our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Some Somebody ought to give a shout this morning. In Nahum, he proclaims a future world of peace that we cannot even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our broken worship. In Zechariah, he prophesies a Messiah who was pierced for us. Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who arises with healing in his wings. Matthew, he's the Messiah who is king. Mark, he's the Messiah who is a servant. Luke, he's the Messiah who is a deliverer. John, he's the Messiah who is God in the flesh. Somebody say Emmanuel. In Acts, he's the spirit who dwells in his people. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the power of God and the love of God. How many of you thankful for some of that this morning? Get you some of that, somebody. 2 Corinthians, he's the down payment of what's to come. He's the earnest of your inheritance. That means what you get is going to be a whole lot more of the good things you've already got. Hallelujah. Galatians, he's our very life. In Ephesians, he's the unity of the church. In Philippians, he's the joy of our life. Colossians, he holds the supreme position in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, he's our comfort in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he's our returning king. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? In Titus, he's the foundation of truth. In Philemon, he's our mediator who intercedes for us. In Hebrews, he's our great high priest. In James, he's the maturer of our faith. In 1 Peter, he's our hope in times of suffering. In 2 Peter, the one who guards us from false teaching. 1 John, the source of all fellowship. 2 John, God in the flesh. 3 John, source of all truth. Revelation. Come on, help me a little bit. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the one who is coming again and he's the one finally who makes all things new. Put your hands together and give him praise this morning. All the promises of God are fulfilled in him because he lives. Because he lives this morning, his identity is undeniable. Because he lives this morning, irreversible victory has already been won. Because he lives this morning, all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. But I have a question for you here at this one as well. The issue is not whether you can say amen to all of that. The issue is whether or not you're trusting him for the promises to be fulfilled in your life. Because they're his and if you have him, they will be yours. Number four, and I'm finished this morning. Because he lives, we always have a representative before God. Every man. Look at your neighbor and say, every man. That's that's not sexist. It's not gender-based. Every human, every person, every individual, man, woman, boy, girl, old, young, rich, poor, regardless of racial identity, every person will stand before the judgment seat of God. Because He lives, we always have a representative before God. Listen to this last verse of Scripture this morning, and I'm finished with this message today. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. One mediator between God and man. The real issue at stake this morning is that there is a man in the throne with a ministry. A man. He's a God-man. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn among many brothers, the firstborn of the new creation of God. He's the prototype of a whole new race on the planet of those who have now been made alive in the new birth, those who have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light that they should show forth the praises of Him. Hallelujah. He's the beginning. He's, the, he, he's the, the one that God has stamped His imprimatur, His stamp of approval on. And it say, He says that God is now fashioning a people to be like Him. He is the pattern Son. He's the prototype. And so this morning I'm thankful that there is a mediator who stands in my stead, in my place, who represents me before God. It was Robert Murray Machane who said this, the Scottish preacher. He said, oh, the things that I could accomplish for God if I knew that Christ were in the next room praying for me. And he responded by this as if the Spirit had quickened to him to remind him that in eternity, that there is no distance. That it's really the idea of Christ being in the next room praying for me is actually farther away than he actually is. Because he's as near to us as our breath. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that he lives. He ever lives to do something. He lives to make intercession for you. He is not just in the next room praying for you, but Christ is right now in the heavens praying for you. And when I say the heavens... When I say the heavens, I don't mean a far off planet somewhere in the distant universe. I'm talking about something that is as close to us, a veil that separates us, that we can't see, the heavenlies that are right here all around us. We're surrounded by angels. We're surrounded by those who've been sent to minister to us, who are heirs unto salvation. Ministering spirits, the Bible says. Heaven is this close to us. I, I, I don't believe that when you die that you, you have to pass through some kind of uh, a wormhole into a, a parallel universe far, far, far away. I believe I want to tell you it's just this close to us right here. Jesus is in this room. He's in this room because I brought Him in here with me in my heart. I want you to know this isn't just emotional bantering or ranting this morning we truly have something to be excited about because 2,000 years later folk are still celebrating the undeniable fact because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a proven undeniable fact and because he lives this morning the identity of the son of God is unquestionable now let me ask you do you know yours Do you know your identity? You were born for something higher than where or how you are currently living right now. Do you know your identity and have you found your identity in Him? Because He lives, irreversible victory has been won. What are you struggling with this morning You don't have to stay in that struggle because God has gotten you the victory in Jesus Christ. He's already won the victory over your addiction, over your broken relationships, over your messed up, jacked up finances, over your marriage that's on the rocks. Come on, somebody. He's already won the victory over your health problems. The issue is will you put your trust in Him who can change your circumstances? Because he lives, all the promises of God are fulfilled in him. And I ask you today, are you trusting him for your every need and for your personal desire, that which he's put into your heart? Because he lives, we always have a representative before God. The issue is, is he yours? Because everyone in this room will stand before the judgment seat of God. John chapter 1 Verse 11 says, he came into his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave the exousia, Greek word, the executive authority. He gave the power to become the sons of God. So this morning the issue is, is have you received him? Because we know he's alive. That's the hinge point of all of history. Everything moves and turns because of this event that we celebrate today. Uh, the, the, the critical question is being able to realize that it's, you're, you're not just someone who is prone to mistakes, but we have this very real problem called sin. Every one of us in this room were born, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you know what? We have a Savior today who loves us so much because the Bible says in that same book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. That's the beauty of Him taking, his pl- taking our place. Dying in our place. We are reconciled by His death. But then we are saved by His life. The Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. You keep working that job, you'll keep getting that pay. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Last verse and I'm finished this morning. Very simply... The, the, the simplicity of this and all of the amazing complexity of God weaving a book together with over 40 authors written over 1,500 years, 66 books involved, and every one of them carry this central theme of a man who is coming and then a man who did come and then a man who lived and then a man who died. But he didn't stop there. It's a man who got up and is alive forevermore now. And he now lives He's seated at the right hand of the Father and He lives in you if you put your trust in Him. He will represent you. He will give you the victory. He will represent you before the Father. He will will change everything about your life and begin to show you how good His promises are because He's a good, good Father. Very simply, it's this. If you believe this story that you saw on the screen this morning and you've heard preached today, Romans 10, 9 and 10 says it this way, that if you... Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. Now, I want to tell you, southern religion has made this all about fire insurance for a distant future in eternity. And though that is a blessing and a benefit, I want to tell you that's not the object. Jesus didn't come constantly, every time he opened his mouth, preaching about escaping hell fire. He invited people into a new life now called the kingdom of God. And that's what it's all about. It's not about, okay, let me raise my hand and pray this prayer and check that off my bucket list and know that when due time comes and I stand before the judgment seat of God that I will make sure that everything is okay. That little one has a life ahead. Great hope. Great hope. Thank God for a crying baby. I'm not bothered by that. I hope you're not. Just gather in again one more time. Let me say this to you right now in this moment when we close this service today. The most important decision you'll ever make will be about the most important event that happened in history. Do you believe it? I don't just mean mentally assent to it. I don't just mean like historians tell us that Jesus was a good man. He was a moral teacher. You know, the devil doesn't care what you believe about Jesus, he just cares when you start actually believing Jesus. Do you believe what he said about you? Do you believe it enough to put it into practice? To put your trust on him and say, Jesus, I believe. One disciple took one look at the evidence and believed, and the whole story began to explode. And What they thought was the end was actually the beginning of a whole new life and a whole new creation. Let me say to you this morning, That's where you are right now. You may think because of hopelessness and brokenness and a struggle that you've not been able to defeat. I don't know who's here in this room this morning. I don't know what kind of situation you're in. And it's not important that I know because I have a father who knows everything about you and he's a good father who loves you and he's reaching to you to tell you you don't have to stay in that predicament, in that situation. So with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning,